Welcome to another edition of UCBS on Times Live. I have been looking forward to this conversation with Ntlebisi Jonas because I came across a speech that had also been widely circulated that he had delivered that I think makes some really important political theoretic points that he then connects to the reality of our political system and the state of our democracy in this present moment. And I think that we are so much inside the hurly-burly of the day and the week's news cycle, we sometimes forget to hit the pause button and ask questions about the overall health of our democracy, which is as important as what happens on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Mtrabisi, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. And I'm glad we could finally make some time for a quick but important conversation. Yeah, thank you, Sibius. Um, thank you to your viewers and listeners. Yeah, um, I'm generally not good at these things, but I do them nonetheless. <laughs> well, I thought that you were an excellent exponent of a concept, which is really the most important question that I wanted to ask you. The rest will be detailed. But I think the idea of democratic backsliding is really important. Very often, we look at countries like Zim, around 2000, and we forget that Zimbabweans didn't just wake up and democracy was up in smoke, that you had democratic backsliding that happened in the 90s. And if you don't look for the red flags, you will miss the backsliding and think a country is either democratic or anti-democratic in some sort of binary way. When you introduce the idea of democratic backsliding, Explain to our listeners what you mean by the concept. Look, I mean, it's, it's, it's a situation where um, a country gradually loses or forfeits some of its democratic features and democratic characteristics. And, and, and in, in many instances, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, historically, when you talk about democracy um, uh, losing its way, it's through a coup or uh, some dictator coming to power, etc., etc., Actually, what, what you're seeing increasingly, I mean, is, is, is um, through the democratic process itself. And, and so you have this kind of um, mad um, um, leaders coming into power. And gradually, I think they kind of um, start um, capturing institutions. And before you know, I mean, you, you don't have any semblance of, of democracy in these countries. So in a sense, it's, it's almost like mm. a silent coup. That happens where, where, where you have. So the threat to democracy becomes the state itself. I think that's really important. Yeah. That's really important because 
you know, what you had said in this discussion under the auspices of Defend Our Democracy is, you know, it's so important to recognize, and you've just captured it beautifully now, as you did also in the speech that you had delivered, and I quote, that it is actually those who win democratic power and control the state itself that weaken its institutions. Am I to understand by that, that we should be vigilant as citizens to not assume that every person who wins power through a democratic process is actually imbued with democratic values. Correct, that's, I would argue that's the first point. But the second point, I think, is that in a context, I mean, under normal circumstances, I mean, if you think about, again, I mean, historically, political parties played a role that probably was seldom recognized today, which is of, of almost like sifting who comes up to leadership. I mean, in a sense, I mean, they kind of like, in a sense, sort of sort out, I mean, through their own processes, what emerges as a leader normally is somebody that mm. um, has a bit of credibility. But interestingly, in history, now, and my historical head now, it's, is that, is that you, you'll find that at particular points in history, political parties become too weak. And, and when they are weak, um, and, and they kind of face the, the prospect of losing election, as this was the case in the Trump case, they kind of find the, the, the closest populist who can get them to win elections and they make the person a leader, basically. But, but, but you can see that, that, that as they become weaker, part of the political weakness that happens in political parties is that their ability to kind of play that role of sifting leaders diminishes. So, so, so it's not a surprise that you, you would say that but in a particular city, and you say, this is a mayor. Oh, come on, these guys are drunk. <laughs> or you have a prospect of a certain individual becoming a president or deputy president. You kind of ask yourself, but how did it happen? Mm. But it happens because there's no filter within political parties. That role has diminished because political parties, I mean, are almost, I normally use the term, they, you, you're running a system where Politics have no politics, so 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 there's no there's no kind of philosophical orientation. There's no integrity test. There's, you know that happens, and so they all of those things are weakened completely. And I mean, you can I mean, if you go back in history other... and, and think about Hitler, the rise of Hitler, it was actually in the yes. same context. Mussolini, it was in the same context, and, and and of course in the recent history, I mean Bolsonaro and and Trump, etc. The, the political parties have almost like stagnated to a point where no new ideas are being generated. Um, conferences are generating the same old ideas and, and old ideologies, etc. No response to the real challenges they are facing. The danger with that situation is that anybody yeah. is fit for leadership. Absolutely. Or everybody Absolutely. is fit for leadership. I'm going to come back to each of these features when we apply it to South African body politic. But let's just put more flesh to the theoretical bones. There are two other dimensions to backsliding that I've found interesting. We sometimes think about them, but I think it's important to re-inscribe them into the public discourse. The first of the other two that you mention is, of course, and it's one that's more familiar than the second one, institutions can be eroded in a democratic state as one of the signs of democratic backsliding. Just speak about that for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Look, I mean, again, I mean, they, I, I always say that in institutions are 
almost fundamental for any developmental agenda, any growth agenda in, in society. And, and, and any perspective that is, and, and, and vision that the country holds. I mean, institutions are what drive that. And, and in South Africa, I think we've seen the very clear experience where, I mean, institutions are weakened by those that have the democratic mandate. They go ahead and, and sometimes, again, in a narrow sense, because they have kind of corrupt interest. So you repurpose everything to kind of uh, do what you want to do. But in another sense, I think um, I, I think there's also something that we've not explored sufficiently, which is the fact that the interconnection between old ideology and the weakening of institutions. Because if you think about it, I mean, part of the thing that I say about South Africa is that at the end of the day, I mean, the, the, the crisis we have is that the ANC is a liberator. They are a liberation movement. We still call ourselves liberation movement today. As a liberator, you have superiority over those you liberate, in a sense, by virtue of you being liberating. You expect that you have the moral background. The reality is that, and therefore you are determining the determinant of what is moral, what is ethical, because you're defining the new society, etc., etc. The truth is that you have passed that point where you're able to do that. Long time ago, by the way, where you were able to define morality, were able to guide how the new society is going Absolutely. to be formed, etc., etc. And but still, you stuck. You get stuck to the narrative that you hold that moral and ethical um, high. So you have an agenda that's bigger than you know what ordinary citizens are talking about, and therefore it gives you power to say, how do you change institutions? in a manner that it reflects the agenda, etc., etc. In the process, you undermine Absolutely. democracy. You undermine institutions. You kill institutions in the, at the altar of wanting to transform and, and make them perform the, the role that you want to perform. So that's one part of that is hidden. That's why I think you'll find that um, the biggest narrative, uh, again, where I, I use it to say to bash opposition parties in, in many countries is the liberation politics narrative. And is the narrative about imperialists? Well, you know, can I just say that what that neatly sets us up to explore is the final feature that you mentioned. You connect the opposition politics and the incumbent liberation movement that's now in government's response to competitive politics to the question of state-sponsored violence. Sadly, Zimbabwe is another exemplar of this at the turn of the century you warn that an element of democratic backsliding is to be alive to not just violence in a between citizens interpersonally in the social structures of society inherited through our our past you know including sexual violence but specifically that state sponsored violence backlash against social movement and opposition is an important red flag when it comes to democratic um, backsliding. That is something that South Africans often miss because when we think about violence, we think about domestic violence, we think about the horrors such as the gang rapes that happened in Krugersdorp. We very seldom, particularly in the suburbs and as middle-class South Africans, think about violence where state with a monopoly on 
legitimate violence can abuse it for nefarious ends. It's a, it's a, it's probably a central element of backsliding. I mean, everywhere you go, and in South Africa, by the way, sometimes you don't even realize that that's actually in motion. I have a belief that I mean, you cannot in all mass uh, cases of big violence activity, violent activities in the country, you cannot take away the security forces in the country from those. Whether it's about right. violence against um, foreigners, whether it's... it's um, so Because, I, again, I mean, you, you either look the other side when it happens, you know, uh, because you have some identity issue and where you kind of you think that it doesn't fit within your your, your perspective, or, or you quietly uh, sponsor it underground, as it were, as it were. Then the, end, the other addition, of course, is that ANC fractional battles tend to be reflected in how we respond to violent activities in different in different communities. The point I'm, I guess we're making is that the 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 until you you kind of ensure that democracy is alive and strong, there's a very strong competitive element. Yeah. There is a very strong civil society element that keeps them, maintains their accountability and reinforce their accountability. These things are easy to happen um, without even noticing. I mean, I saw the other day a poster where where basically I think um, the ANC is leading a march against foreigners, basically. And what does it mean? Because then it translates into all sorts of things that, that we're talking about. And by the way, I think um, the other thing we should explore is the identity in, in all of these things. Because sometimes we would say there's policy failure and this, 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 but we don't also realize that there is also, I mean, a play of politics of identity. Many people are looking at, I mean, um, this is like this racial group or this is a party that liberated the country. And it, it thrives on that, on that identity, basically. Um, I, it's a nice thing to be called a cater when I go home. Absolutely. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a cater or not, it's another question. Second last theme. There's a lot of nuance in the theoretical exposition combined with examples, but essentially theoretical exposition of democratic backsliding that we've just outlined. In essence, we spoke about silent coup through democratic processes. We then spoke about institutions that can be hollowed out. And then lastly, the importance of being vigilant around the use of apparently legitimate state violence for anti-democratic purposes. If we take those as trays of backsliding, how does South Africa fare at the moment? It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I make the point in the paper. It's interesting when you look at all kind of um, uh, agencies, rating agencies on democracy. South Africa rates very well, but all of them are quick to say that the signs of uh, decline are strong. I mean, um, the rate, of yes. the weaknesses in the state are likely to undermine um, the, 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 the levels of corruption the rise of populism, even in the ruling party, etc., etc. All of those things. I mean, if you think about it, I was actually looking at, uh, unfortunately, didn't attend the, the national policy conference. Um, but, but I, I think when looking at and hearing the discussion, um, you actually realize that actually it, it was like almost like um, um, sitting in in Sun City uh, discussing uh, Soweto, because because in essence, I mean, the the, the issues that 
at topical and the level, the agency with which we should be dealing with some of these issues doesn't come through in, in what is being reported as, as the major focus of, of the, of, of the, the policy conference. 100%. And I assume by Sun City, you don't mean the prison. No, 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 no. no. I mean, I mean, it's, it's almost like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's almost like eating steak and then talking about poverty. <laughs> well, I mean, that then raises a fundamental question because the reason, and this is my last question, and it's, it's a big one. I'll give you three minutes to, to speak into it. The reason why you focused on democratic backsliding at all was because your starting point and I really wish you could help out your comrades or former comrades because they pretend to care about organizational renewal, but the discussion paper around it was intellectually appallingly weak. Your starting point for thinking about renewal is to ask what is backsliding because unless you understand backsliding, you can't map out a program of renewal. Is it still feasible at this stage specifically for the African National Congress, and then the ANC-led state, separate from the party, to be able to renew away from these characteristics of backsliding. Yeah. Look, I'm, I wanted to make one point, though. I mean, again, maybe it's a conceptual point I want to make. Is that my own my thesis is that part of the weakness in the conversation on ANC renewal is that you, you, you can't, ANC is a product of a context, a historical context, and a historical moment. Basically, so it is that moment that created what we actually got to know as ANC, and then I'm talking about in its philosophical sense, in its uh, focus in terms of agenda, etc. Cetera, et cetera. It was a product of that context. The problem with the discussion on on ANC renewal today is up is our historical. It's almost like looking at like organizational renewal, but looking internally at Maybe if you introduce principle A, B, C, D, and if you run this education program, you will have a better outcome. The truth of the matter is that the question that should be asked fundamentally is, what is the political and economic historic moment that we are in? And what kind of a vehicle, liberatory vehicle, if you use the term liberatory vehicle, does it require? Because once you then resolve that question, the rest is 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 like is like I mean easy to plug in as it were. So the, the so, so you have a crisis of vision to begin with, you know, and you have a crisis of perspective in understanding the the historic moment that we are in. And in order to understand the historic moment, is also to look at globally what's happening. What are the global forces that are in operating? Where is the world going? What are the trends that we see? How does the world, look, the world look at us? And how do we fit ourselves into the global agenda? And how do we influence and shift it? Uh, for what purpose? What is the class structure of the new South Africa we're building, given the dynamics that we have? I'm saying that that discussion is absence in the, in the, in the renewal to begin with. So, so, so you almost like, Taking and again, I'm forgiving you for the terminology. You're taking a completely ahistorical view of thinking that um, of thinking that you would be able to renew um, the ANC without a kind of, kind of building that vision and understanding the context, and also understanding that it is a motive. That's the term we used to use. It is a motive force of history. 
And, and that's critical because as a motive force of history, you've got to understand the history itself first because you can be, before you can become effective as a motive force. So the, the discussion for me is again tinkering at best. And, and, and secondly, it also, re, 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 I mean, reflect the political degeneration that we are in, um, that we are in. Um, as it were. I mean, even if you talk about a, a private company, people will start looking at where the economy is going, what sectors are we looking at, etc., etc. How do we plug ourselves into it, and so on and so on. But if we are talking about something that's supposed to change society, redefine it, at least better understand what society are, are you changing. They better tell us what that society is. Better tell us what the world looks like, because that's what you are actually. So this renewal agenda is a completely internal. Absolutely inward looking in its nature. And I'm conceptually I have a problem with that. The second the, the, the second part is that is that you do not use um uh, to solve problems and I think it's I don't know somebody raised um, it's a big quote everybody quotes about you can't use the same instrument that created the problem to solve the problem. So so, so somehow I think you you do need to think a bit out of the box about how you should think about it. Can I, can I ask you just on that, though? Um, can you be... You've been so brilliantly precise in the conceptual analysis. Can I challenge you on what it means to use the imagery of not using the same vehicle that delivered the problem to also be transporting and to be the solution? Is that a euphemism for the ANC must be kicked out of government? The point I'm making is that the biggest vehicle for transforming the ANC is society. It's how society perceives it. It's how society understands it, etc., etc. So I would say that if you're really seriously thinking about renewal, the process should say it's almost going back to society and, and mobilize society and engaging society in a bigger conversation, etc., etc., out of that, you probably come with what you 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 think will 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 be the right vehicle to drive that. And at the moment, you 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 I mean, think about it. In many places, people join the branches because there's nothing else to do. They they there's, they they become counselors because there's no other work they can do. And um, I mean, except to do that work. And, and so, on. so, 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 so you, 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 you have a, a kind of a, a stunted process from the beginning, basically. So that's why I'm saying that if your process begins by almost reestablishing your roots yeah. in society yeah. and understanding what the new role, of course, there are continuities, but I think there are huge discontinuities uh, that you have to take on board in, in thinking about the future. I mean, you're talking about how the ANC can reconnect with communities and communities can give it a, in a bottom up manner feedback and a positive feedback loop through which it can renew itself. But all of that that you've said in the last three minutes is premised on the following, that the ANC must exist. It doesn't need to exist. If it doesn't serve us instrumentally in the state, why should any ANC branch, let alone society at large, be vested in renewing the ANC at all? It's okay if the ANC dies an historical death in this moment. No, look, I mean, again, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, there are two things. Looking at the actual existing ANC, and that's, that's, that's what we, we, we're talking about in essence. But, but again, I mean, there's one way of looking at it. I'm talking about at a conceptual, philosophical level, society needs to be organized in some form or shape. 
And 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 I'm saying if 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 the NC wants to continue to play that role, renewal becomes important. That's that's for me immaterial. I mean, it it becomes important. And now that it has it has it has started talking about that um, it, that issue, it becomes probably even more relevant maybe for them to to not to you think that it's just a tinkering exercise that they must they must do. And uh, again. The idea that I, I'm, I'm probably the biggest proponent of is the idea of a broad front. I mean, basically, where you activate and mobilize citizens and, and start like really engaging them in, 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 in ways that, that really actually brings accountability to levels that we've not been able to bring them today. And, and whether that then translates into political power, that's not my, my, but it at least ensures that whoever gets political power there is uh, this safeguard that you have um, in, in, in moving forward. But, but again, I mean, the agenda for society to go forward and protect democracy, it needs different forms of organizations. It needs different forms of leadership. It needs different forms of agenda. Now you can make your own conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on Eusebius on Times Live. I appreciate it. I love the experience you bring as a political activist and as someone who understands the political economy and the most important indices about the state of our democracy with your experience in the state as well. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Eusebius. Thanks.